Glad you're here this morning. Glad for those of you that are joining us uh, online. Pastor Curtis is up uh, preaching live in the venue this morning, so we're grateful for that. Let me mention a couple of things before we jump in. You should have gotten an email uh, from me Friday around noon about our affiliation with the Southern Baptist Convention. If you did not get the email, a couple of things you need to know. One is, if you have email, we've had some problems with our new system of uh, things going to spam and the junk mail, so check that first if you're not getting email from us. If you don't have email or you still can't find it, I have a couple of, uh, or a few copies of that letter down here on the front row that you're more than welcome to pick up. I uh, didn't want to address that from the pulpit and take time from our worship, so I just put that to you in a letter, and you can pick those up down here this morning if you need to. Well, in, uh, in July, we're doing a four-week series called Together. Uh, in the month of July, not the 3rd, but the 10th, 17th, 24th, and 31st, John and Tyler, our worship pastors, came to me and said, hey, we would like to come together uh, for the month of July. So we're going to do that. Uh, both of our worship teams uh, need a break, and so we're going to come together where they can kind of share that load and have a good time as a church family, focusing on message on the body and on unity and thinking about preparing uh, for the next phase of the vision uh, that God has given us of planting gospel outreaches. Last week, if you didn't make it, last week we're out at Raymar, had an incredible time together, wonderful time of fellowship, and uh, hope you had the opportunity, if you were out there last week, to go into the new ministry and training center um, that we uh, put together out there. And I want to thank you, those of you that gave significantly to that uh, last year, significantly to that remodel of that house to turn it into a ministry and training facility. If you weren't out there last week or didn't get to go in, you ought to at least drive by. Just a uh, beautiful facility on the corner there of Raymar Parkway and or, or Raymar Road and Bryant Parkway. A year ago, uh, actually it was June the 6th, a year ago we launched a new vision of not planting a church but of planting many gospel outreaches all around this part of the state of Arkansas. If you, if you weren't here on the 6th, you could go back and listen to that. But we said, you know, we need to plant a lot of different points from which we can proclaim the gospel. And that building is the start of that. Um, the reason we, we remodeled that and turned it into a ministry training center was to be able to do that. And while the physical process has been happening there, there's been a spiritual process happening here. We've been spending a lot of time in prayer, spending a lot of time studying, specifically through the, the book of Acts and, and the development of the church, really seeking the Lord and trying to determine uh, how do we move forward with the vision God gave us last year. And we'll be sharing more about the plan and process of that uh, over the course of the summer. And let me just go ahead and warn you, we're going to call in July, we're going to call on the entire body to join us for 40 days of prayer and fasting and that God would continue to clarify that vision and God would continue to bless uh, what he has called us to do. Well, speaking of prayer, you heard that tonight we are gathering for prayer. Uh, one of our values here at Geyer Springs is we believe in prayerful dependence. And there are a lot of things coming up over the next several weeks that we want to cover in prayer. Camp Geyer, Camp Geyer Jr., we certainly want to pray um, for all that that's going to happen this week. We have 170 folks going out, everywhere from children to adults, going out on mission trips this summer. So we want to pray over those multiple mission trips and, and the summer camps and just all the things that are happening here. We're going to be asking the Lord to move in the hearts of, of children this week at Camp Geyer. We're going to be asking him to um, prepare those who are going out on these mission trips, going from here, and then prepare the hearts of those whom they're going to serve. So a lot for us to pray for tonight as we gather, and it's all about prayerful dependence. It's not about our work, um, although God has called us to be about the work, but it's about our prayerful 
dependence on him. Well, this morning we're continuing our study in the book of Galatians. I know it was probably a bit of a challenge to stay focused last week outside, out on the, the fields there at Raymar. So let me very quickly review um, some main points that we covered last week. The first point was this. In, in the first part, the first 20 verses of Galatians 4, we covered the fact that not only has God saved us from the bondage of sin, but he's also adopted us as heirs. We are joint heirs. We've been adopted as sons, made heirs with Christ. And scripture even says that one day we will reign with Christ. And, you know, when you think about adoption, that's a really encouraging word. At times we feel inadequate or unworthy to remember that God adopted us, that he chose us. You may remember last week I referred to 139th Psalm, verses uh, 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the shore. And, and we talked about God having either a photo album or an iPhone with pictures of us on there and how much he enjoys that. Now, I don't, I don't know if any of you grandparents in this room do this, but I sometimes have been known to do this. I might say to Wallace when no one else is around, hey, you know you're my favorite, right? <laughs> and I'm about to let the cat out of the bag here, but I also say to Evelyn when Wallace isn't around, hey, you know you're my favorite, right? And that's how I think God thinks of us, of all of us. Uh, we're precious to him. He thinks precious thoughts about us, and we are his favorites. It's good to remember that he has adopted us. The second thing we talked about last week is that when we, when we come to faith, when we're adopted into the family of God, his plan and purpose for us is our sanctification. It's that process we go through from the moment of salvation until the moment he calls us home where the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more and more like Christ. That's his plan and purpose for us. And when we're sanctified, the word sanctified means it's something that's been set apart. And so God is setting us apart. He's setting us apart uh, from the world because we're called to be holy like he is holy. So when we come to salvation, when we come to faith, when we're adopted as sons, his plan and his purpose is sanctification. And then the third key point we covered last week was that phrase that you see there, uh, in Genesis 4, that God sent Jesus in the fullness of time. It was the perfect time. It was the exact right time. God knew after hundreds of years of men being under the law and, and the hardship and the burden of the law, God knew that men were ready for the Messiah, ready for the, the final sacrifice who would come and forgive and cleanse them from sin once and for all. He came in the fullness of time. And you remember we took that thought of the fullness of time and we said he still comes in the fullness of time to individuals now. God knows when someone is at the point that they're ready to receive Christ and the Holy Spirit is working in them. And, and when, I mentioned last week, when the Spirit impresses you to speak to someone about your faith, you can do that confidently knowing that he's working in them and preparing them. Anytime God leads us to, to speak, we know that the Spirit of God is working in them just as he is working in us. And we need to remember, even if there's a failure to respond to the message, even if there's a negative response to the message that you share, it doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean that the truth has not found any traction in that person's life. When you share the truth, you may be just planting a seed. You may be watering a seed someone else planted. You may, on occasion, have the opportunity to, uh, to, to draw the harvest. But your responsibility is simply to share. You, you never fail as a witness, bearing witness, when you simply share because the results are not up to you and me. They're up to the Spirit of God. 
Now, I've told several of you on different occasions when you've come and, and talked to me about something in the message that spoke to you, I've told you before, I, I really basically, my basic um, philosophy when I speak from the truth of the Word of God, my basic philosophy is I preach to myself and, and you get to listen in. And, and last week was a good case in point of that. I got convicted by the message last week. And as a pastor, I was thrilled that somebody got convicted by the message. And where I got convicted was when I said, when God calls us to speak up, he's already been dealing in the heart of the one that he is calling us to speak to. And, and for me, a few weeks ago, I had a very strong impression that I was to speak to someone, and I did not do it. And so I determined after last Sunday's message, and I've already begun the process of, of following through and making sure that I'm able to share the truth um, with this one that God has laid on my heart. Now, you could say, man, that's great. Our pastor feels convicted and he's going to, you know, let, let me just tell you, don't think highly of me because I'm going to obey what God says because I should have acted immediately. Delayed obedience is disobedience. We don't know when God impresses us to speak to a person, we don't know how long that person has. We don't know how long the window of opportunity is open. When he impresses on us, it's the spirit of God in you if you're a believer, when he impresses on you to speak to someone, you should do that as soon as you possibly can because he's also working on their heart and in their life. Well, as we continue our study of Galatians this morning, let me invite your attention to Genesis 12. If you've already got to Galatians, just hold your place there. We'll get back to it. I want to go to Genesis 12 this morning. Paul in, in Galatians has referred to Abraham's justification by faith. He keeps coming back to that in his letter to the Galatians. And he's going to, here in chapter 4, these final 11 verses, he's going to use God's covenant with Abraham to illustrate his argument against the law and for faith. So I want us to go back, and we're not going to do, go through the whole story. I want us to go back and hit some high points uh, of God's relationship, covenant relationship with Abraham. We're going to start in Genesis 12. And I want you to look with me at verses 1 through 5 of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, with all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, let's pause right there, go to uh, chapter 13 should be right there on the same page or the next page. Look at chapter 13 and verse 14. Abram and Lot at this point have separated. And it says in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that, that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So you see God has entered this covenant relation with Abram. He's made this promise to him. Skip over to chapter 15. 
Abram has had some encounters and has gotten a little bit fearful. And God in chapter 15, verse 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now here's the key. And he, that's Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram was beginning to have some doubts about this promise that God had made to make him a great nation and give him offspring too numerous to count. So God is again reaffirming this covenant relationship. And Abram's only part was faith. His only part was to believe God. God did not ask him to do anything or to perform anything or, or do any certain works. He just asked him to trust him. And Abram had faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now look finally in, in uh, chapter 16 of Genesis. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Um, when, when Isaac's born, Abram, Abraham at that time is 100 and Sarah is 90. She had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now, let me clarify, this was clearly not God's plan. What Abraham and Sarah did goes against God's restriction of one man and one woman. But, but Sarah is so desperate, she is, is pushing her old husband into adultery. Now, why is she desperate? Well, it's a stigma at this time for a woman to be without a child, without, without a son. And in addition to that, obviously they've had some conversation between the two of them. And evidently, Abraham and Sarah both believe God wasn't fulfilling his promise, so they needed to help him. And you know that the child born to Abraham and Hagar was, was Ishmael. Now, if you look from Genesis 12 through Genesis 21, it records the entire story of God's promise to Abraham, beginning in chapter 12, all the way through the fulfillment of the promise, which was the birth of, of Isaac. And, and it's all recorded there. If you wanted an overview of the entire account, you could take the timeline of, of Abraham's life, and it would look something like this. At the age of 75, God called Abraham, told him he was going to make him a great nation, and, and told him to go. He didn't know at that moment. Told him to go to Canaan and promised him many descendants. Well, at the age of 85, 10 years later, Abraham and Sarah are concerned that the promised son has not arrived, so they come up with their own plan. And when Abraham is 86, Hagar, the servant, gives birth to a son, Ishmael. Now, at the age of 99, 13 years after the birth of Ishmael, God again 
Even though they've stepped out of his design and his will, God again reaffirms the promise, the covenant to Abraham and also to Sarah. And God tells them they're to name the child Isaac. Uh, one of the meanings of the word Isaac is laughter. Sarah laughed, as any of you would, at the age of 90 plus. If you were told you're going to have a baby, you'd probably cry first, but at some point in there you'd laugh. But the name Isaac also means joy or rejoicing. There was going to be great rejoicing at the fulfillment that God, uh, of the promise that God had given. So at 100, when Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90, uh, the promised son Isaac is born. And then we didn't read this, but over in chapter 21, Abraham's 103. Isaac is three years old. It was at the time that a baby would be weaned uh, from his mother. And there's a big celebration as a part of that. And during that celebration, Ishmael mocks Isaac, and consequently, he's sent away. All right, let's go to Galatians 4. And as you're turning there, I think we'd all do well to remember from the, the short account we just read uh, of Abraham and the promise, we do well to remember that Abraham's intervention in, in the affairs of God, his attempt to help God fulfill his promise, has adversely affected Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, to this day. Now think about that. Did you hear what I just said? Because Abraham and Sarah decided they needed to help God fulfill his promise, their descendants have been adversely affected to this day. The descendants of Ishmael have always had as their goal to destroy Israel, or as scripture would say, to see that their name is remembered no more because they chose to step in and help God. You know, I remember as a child, especially when I was a young child, there were times that I would decide that I was going to help my mom with cleaning or something around the house, and I would do what I was going to do, and she would look at it and she would say, I wish you wouldn't help me. Sometimes I feel like God wants to say that to us, and I certainly feel like he wanted to say that to Abraham and Sarah because they made a mess. Trying to help God fulfill his promise, they just, they just made a mess. Well, we're looking at the final 11 chapters of Galatians 4. Paul's been very clear uh, in this letter, very clear teaching, very simple illustrations. This section is a little more complex, and, and it can be confusing. That's why we went back to Genesis, because you see all through these verses reference, references to Abraham, two sons, a slave woman, a free woman, Mount Sinai, Jerusalem, children of the flesh, children of the promise, Jerusalem above. What does all that mean? What is Paul trying to say here? Well, Paul is taking the historical account we just looked at and using that to illustrate some very important spiritual realities. I do want to point out one thing before we go any further. In verse 24, Paul says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. I want to make clear that doesn't imply that there's some hidden symbolic meaning. There are no hidden meanings in Scripture. There are, no, there are no secret symbols in Scripture. When we come to Scripture, we need to accept the plain statements of Scripture and not be searching for symbols or not be searching for hidden meanings apart from the instruction and permission of Scripture. So when Paul says this is an allegory, please don't think, and the reason I bring this up is I don't want us to slip into that dangerous uh, pattern of looking at and reading interpreting Scripture and trying to see allegories and hidden meanings and symbols and everything. That's not how Scripture is written. In fact, the word allegory here, if you go back to the Greek, it's from two words. The first word simply means to speak, and the second word means another. So what Paul is saying when it's translated here allegory is 
We're going to speak of one thing by making reference to or by referring to another. If you have an NIV translation, um, it's probably a little better in this instance. It uses the word figuratively. These things may be taken figuratively. Paul is using a, a reference to the two sons of Abraham as a historical, literal reference, and he's using that literal event to illustrate some important spiritual truth. Okay? So what is he trying to illustrate? He's trying to illustrate the two covenants under which man has lived. Abraham had two sons. Ishmael was the first, followed by Isaac. Ishmael was born to a slave woman according to the flesh. So we would say the, the, the birth of Ishmael was natural. And, and what Ishmael illustrates is the work of the flesh. Abraham and Sarah didn't want to wait on God. They decided to, to do things their own way. And that's how our flesh operates. The flesh rejects the promise of God, and what the flesh does is try to take by its own power what God gives willingly. A lot of men in our, and ladies, a lot of humans in our culture today can't accept the fact that God is willing by grace to give us relationship with him. And so in their flesh, they say, well, I'm going to obtain grace. I'm going to take grace in my own power and my own way. So Ishmael demonstrates or illustrates those works of the flesh. Isaac, on the other hand, he's born to a free woman through the promise. So we look at the birth of Isaac and we say, well, that, that's supernatural. And it was. God waited. Scripture says God waited till Abraham and Sarah, this is a phrase from Scripture, were as good as dead when it came to childbearing. And they were. He's 100 and she's 90. So until they were as good as dead, that's probably why God delayed and delayed and delayed the promised child. He wanted it clear that there was no way this could have happened with these two humans. The birth of Isaac was supernatural. It doesn't matter that two humans created Isaac and he was born. It was a supernatural birth. Isaac's birth was a result of Abraham's faith. Abraham believed God, and because of his faith, God miraculously enabled Abraham to father a son when he was at the ripe old age of 100. So Isaac's the result of the power and the promise of God, not the will and works of man. So there's a, a big contrast between these two sons. And what Paul is doing in showing the two covenants is he, he's showing between the two women, the two sons, he's reminding us in that contrast of some great spiritual truths about our salvation. So let's, let's kind of look at that this morning, and let's start with the women. The first thing you see is that Hagar was the second wife of Abraham. Abraham had a wife. Her, her name was Sarah. But Hagar was the second wife, and Hagar bore a child for Abraham, and, and her child was not part of God's plan and covenant. God's covenant with Abraham was strictly based on grace. It wasn't based on what Abraham was able to do. There was nothing Abraham could do to fulfill that promise. And so his covenant with Abraham was strictly based on grace. And that needs to remind us that grace is always God's starting point with humanity. He always operates out of grace. You go back to the garden, consider uh, Adam and Eve. After they sin, God treated Adam and Eve with grace. Before he even put them out of the garden, he provided for them for what they would need. Even, even in, the, in the pronunciation of the curse, he gave them grace in promising that a redeemer was going to come. 
Not because of anything they could do or any man or woman since then, but a redeemer is going to come because of grace. As you read through the Old Testament, you read through God's dealings with his people, it's always about grace. The, the exodus from Egypt was simply God showing grace. It was an act of grace on his people. They weren't favored by God because they kept the law. In fact, the law didn't even exist at that point. God showed favor simply because of grace. Just like Hagar came later, the law was added later. Its function was temporary. By the way, if, if you don't know what the function of the law was, back on May 25th, we covered that in that message. The function of the law was temporary, and when it had achieved or fulfilled its purpose, it was taken away. The second thing you see as you look at these two women, where Sarah was a free woman, Hagar was a slave. She was a servant. Well, because she was a slave or a servant, her son Ishmael was born into slavery. All of his descendants were, were slaves. Even when Hagar was married to Abraham, she was still a slave. And what does a slave do? A slave serves. A slave is not the master. A slave is not a ruler. A slave is not over anyone. And, and Hagar, just as a slave serves... And we see that in the life of Hagar, the law was given to serve. It was not given to be our master. Hagar bore a child trying to do what Sarah could not do. Again, Abraham's marriage to Hagar violated God's will. Let me pause there and say this. There are a lot of great heroes of the faith that we can read about in Scripture. Abraham is one of them. They were not perfect people. God still used Abraham in spite of his sin. God still fulfilled his promise, his end of the covenant, in spite of the sin of Abraham and Sarah and kind of going off course on this thing. Hagar was not supposed to marry. She was not supposed to bear children. She was not supposed to, to create life. Just like the law. The law can't give life. All the law does, it can't make any person righteous. The law cannot make you heir to anything except bondage. Third thing I want you to see in this passage about Hagar and, and Sarah. Sarah gives birth to the child of promise, which God had said that would be fulfilled through her. Hagar gives birth to a child that Scripture describes as a wild man. He was untamable. He was, he was uncontrollable. Ishmael couldn't be controlled. He was, he was uncivilized. He was a fighter. He was a, a warrior. He was a troublemaker, as were his descendants. And Ishmael is figurative for the flesh. Before you came to Christ, your flesh was at war with the things of God. That's how you were made. That's the nature you had. Your flesh was at war with the things of God, and you could not control your flesh. You could not make your flesh do good. You could not control your flesh by religious activity. Keeping the law doesn't change and doesn't control the flesh. Just as Ishmael was a wild man who was uncontrollable and uncivilized and a fighter and a warrior, so it was your flesh before you came to Christ. And that brings us to the fourth thing. Ultimately, Hagar and Ishmael were cast out. There was not room in that household for all the conflict that, that Hagar and Ishmael caused. They were cast out. And that tells us figuratively that the law and grace cannot coexist. Ishmael representing the law, Isaac, 
Sarah representing grace. The law and grace cannot coexist. And, and there can't be compromise. And that's what Paul's saying to the Galatians. You can't start off under grace and then decide you're going to walk with God by the law. There, there can't be compromise. They, they can't coexist. You can't mix faith and works. You can't receive the righteousness of God if you're attempting to gain that by your own righteousness. It's impossible. Well, what about the line of Isaac? What, what about the son of promise? What, what about people of faith? What, what does Isaac reveal regarding the covenant of grace? Well, the first thing you see is what we've mentioned. Isaac was born by the power of God. From the time that God made the promise to Abraham when he was 75 years old until the birth of Isaac, 25 years had passed. There's no question that Abraham and Sarah could not conceive on their own. He was born supernaturally by the power of God. Well, you know what? Like Isaac, we're born spiritually. We're born supernaturally by grace through faith. Scripture says it is the gift of God. It can only happen through the power of God. We can't be born into faith. We can't be born again through our own strength and our own work. It comes only by the power of God. The second thing you see of Isaac, and it's the passage I referred to that we didn't read in Genesis 21, Isaac grew and the point came at the age of three where he was weaned. Why is that? Well, a child has to come to the point of eating solid food if he's going to grow and going to develop and going to be healthy. Well, what does that say to us that Isaac grew and that he was weaned off milk and onto meat from, from uh, liquid to solid food? It, it says to us that salvation, that our new birth is just the beginning. Many people come to faith in Christ and they, they never grow. They either aren't interested, they aren't properly discipled. Well, God intends for us to grow in our faith and our relationship with him. That's his intent. That, that's his purpose. We're, we're supposed to mature. It's actually kind of tragic to see believers who've known the Lord for many, many years, and they're still children or they're still adolescents. They've never, they've never really grown in their faith. You know, we have a pastor on our staff. You all know Pastor Curtis, and his primary responsibility is to figure out the plans and processes that best help people grow and develop in their faith so that we can go on and, and mature in our role and our relationship with, with Christ. God's intent for us is to become a fully devoted, mature, responsible follower of Christ. We're to grow in our faith. And the third thing you see in this passage or in this story is that Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. Ishmael didn't create any problems in the home until Isaac was born. Ishmael was 14 when Isaac was born, and I'm sure some things went on before we read in Genesis 21 that when Ishmael was 17 at that big celebration for Isaac at the age of three, Ishmael began to mock Isaac. What, what does that say to us? Well, your, your flesh, your, your old nature is not going to give you any difficulty until... You trust Christ and receive a new nature. That's where the battle begins. Your flesh, your old nature didn't bother you in the least before you came to Christ. But when you came to Christ, the battle begun, and you should expect that. You should know that those natures are going to battle. You, you should be prepared for that. 
Well, how do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for that battle? How do you prepare for, for the flesh to just continually rise up and, and tempt you and try to lead you into evil and into sin? How do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for that? We talked about last or two weeks ago is you make it a habit to daily surrender to the Spirit. You remember we said that the Spirit indwells every believer, but the Spirit doesn't necessarily fill every believer. It's a daily choice to say to the Spirit, I want your filling. The filling of the Spirit is a daily necessity for the believer, and you've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to be under control of the Spirit. You've got to follow the lead of the Spirit. You've got to walk in the Spirit if you're going to be victorious over the old sinful nature. The old Indian chief said it this way. He said, inside me, there's a white dog and a black dog. And they're constantly fighting. And the dog that wins is the one that I feed the most. It's a choice that we make to be surrendered to and under control of the Holy Spirit. Well, we've said this throughout the book of Galatians. Paul is challenging the Galatians not to turn back. He said, you started off in faith. You started off with grace. These Judaizers came in and they told you, you have to keep the law to be under grace. He's challenging them not to turn back. Well, what is, what is he saying? What is the message for us here today? The first thing in the message here today, looking at the two covenants, is again to remind us, if you're trying to earn your salvation by your own righteousness, it won't work. And, and why do we keep hammering? Why do we keep driving home that point here in the church with believers? Because there are people in the church that still haven't got this figured out. They're still trying to be good enough. They're still trying to do enough good things. They're still trying to go to church enough and and do church activities enough to be accepted by God, and it doesn't work. Listen, we've had several folks from from Easter and and then through the book of Galatians, as we've preached through the book of Galatians, several folks who've been in church basically all their life who have come and said, you know what, I, I got it. I got it. It's not my own righteousness, it's my, my faith and my trust in Christ. We, we saw the testimony of Paul as he was baptized and of Lisa as she was baptized. We'll see Katie in a few weeks. And this morning, we, we've got Hayden Newman. Hayden has been in church basically all of her life, but her story is she was trusting in her own righteousness. Let's listen to her story. My name is Hayden and I'm excited to say that I recently accepted Christ as my Savior. My story is probably pretty similar to most in that as a young child in the fourth grade, I made what I thought was a decision to follow Christ. Um, I felt like I was saved. I felt like I was doing the things that I needed to be doing. But um, fast forward and I about two years ago probably and I started having a lot of doubts, really started questioning my salvation. and wondering if things were right. So I started just kind of trying to fix things on my own. Um, Probably for the first time ever, I started having a regular prayer and Bible study time, um, which was all great, but yet it still didn't seem to fix the security issue. Easter Sunday this year, I was sitting in the service and Dave preached on the cultural Christian. And probably for me, the most impactful part of that service was the two video testimonies. Those testimonies just spoke to me so much because I felt like I could relate to them. I knew exactly what they were talking about. So during that service, the Holy Spirit was just stirring my heart. And at the end of the service, I felt like I needed to talk to a pastor, but I just kind of shoved that voice down. I kind of ignored it, really kind of thought it would go away. During the next week, it just kept working at me, kept 
nudging and saying, Hayden, you need to do this. You need to reach out to somebody. So I finally decided to call John and we talked a little bit and I share a little bit of my story. And we decided, you know, we would just get together and we would talk through things. So he and his wife, Laura, and myself got together and the three of us just had a nice conversation. Um, But at the end of that conversation, I knew that that fourth grade decision was not the real thing. So we decided to get things nailed down. I asked Jesus into my heart that day. We prayed at the end of that prayer. Honestly, I felt such a sense of peace in my heart. I felt like a huge burden had been lifted. And I now know that I am saved, I am a Christian, and I will spend my eternity in heaven. So going forward, I feel like I probably will still have the occasional doubt, but I also know now that I I have my salvation and I have God. And with those things, I can face those doubts. Well, this is Hayden Newman, and I'm so thankful, Hayden, that you followed God's stern of your heart. You didn't sit on that. You responded, and it was a joy for Laura and I to be a part of this journey with you. I'll tell you right now, this water is really cold, uh, really, really cold, so bear with us up here. Um, I know Hayden has friends and family that are here uh, today. If you are one of her friends or part of her family, I ask you to stand in her honor knowing that you'll be faithful to pray for her in the weeks and months to come. So here we go, Hayden. Have you asked Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Upon that confession, it's my joy to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in new life. And if you've already come to faith in Christ, Paul would say to you, you need to go on living by faith. Ishmael's a a picture of those who try to please God and those who try to accomplish God's will in their lives by their own power and and in the flesh. If you come to Christ by faith, you need to stop trying to live your life your own way, your own power. You, You can't do it. You can't please God. You, you don't have the power to obey on your own. I'll, I'll close with Paul's words to the Colossians that kind of summarize where we need to be as followers of Christ. In Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, he said, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. Had you received him by coming to the end of yourself? Had you received him by complete surrender? That's how you walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, and abounding in thanksgiving.